Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Dragon's Cast. We're recording this on Monday, January 9th, and I'm here with my good friends, Bill, Anthony, and Leon. Uh, this is this is the crew now, it looks like. So uh, how are y'all doing this week? Awesome. Amazing. I was down I was down there for that beating, so that was uh, good to see that, at least. Yeah, I saw you for about three minutes there at the end, Bill. For my, uh, yeah, got waylaid, waylaid by a two-year-old. Uh, trying to get in there, but it was fun. Um, I, I kind of saw all of that game that I needed to. So we're, we're looking at a game, a two-game week for the men at Towson, home against Mammoth. Uh, Towson appeared to be legitimate D1 competition. Mammoth did not. Um, you know, the big thing, I think we're going to be talking about these two games so differently, probably because they went differently, but Towson was without their starting point guard and probably their best player. Um, so... They're a high-level team. We know that. They were picked number one in the league, I believe. Um, you know, we, we know there's a ton of talent there. And, and Timberlake, besides Holden, um, and Charles Thompson, a, a house of horrors, as you mentioned before, Bill. I mean, we never play well down there. I don't know if Coach Beggers ever would at Towson. Um, but given how down Towson was as far as personnel and, and that Drexel came in there relatively fresh, were you expecting more, Bill? I mean, I was a little disappointed. I think it was a winnable game with those guys missing. Um, I mean, I think overall they're more talented, but down two starters, you have to hope you can, you know, go in there and steal one. Uh, but like you said, it hasn't been pleasant down there. I've gone down for a few games and not been happy that I made the drive down <laughs> after going. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was hoping we, we could pull this one out. It was close, you know. I would have liked to see specifically Amari step his game up a little bit more when going against one of the other better big men in the league. And he didn't quite have the game that we needed out of him. Yeah, I just confirmed we have not beaten uh, beaten them under Coach Spiker at, at Towson. Um, and, and I kind of agree with you, Bill. Um, I feel like that's one of those games you go into Towson, you know they're a big team. Um, you know, Amari is going to be a focal point in that game where you're kind of a physical team and you're looking for him to really kind of show some aggression, I feel like. And instead, you know, there was even a play in this game where he stood there and had the ball taken out of his hands, literally just taken out of his hands. Um, and it was disappointing to see some some really soft turnovers there. Uh, Anthony, you know, what, what other things have you noticed? Um, yeah, I agree with uh, what you said about Amari. Um, it kind of seemed like he and Thompson almost kind of canceled each other out in some ways. Um, but unlike Drexel, Towson had Nick Timberlake go off and hit a bunch of circuit shots, 24 points, um, which kind of was the difference uh, because our second leading scorer, Coltrane Washington, um, went one for nine from the field and 0 for seven from three. Um, so that kind of, that did not work in our favor. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would have hoped to have seen a little bit more from Amari. It, it was kind of a very modest performance from him. Um, but it was a close game. Uh, I mean, it, they competed. Um, Coltrane hits a couple shots and maybe it's a different game. I mean, the probably the, the highlight for me was the reemergence of, Mate Okros, five of six, four of five from three, and led the team to 14 points, which was a welcome sight after his struggles. Um, but 
I mean, my biggest thing, and I'm sure we'll get into this as we talk about both games this week, is that I just think there's a problem with the starting rotation and who they have out there. I don't know if you want to go into it at this moment or you want to wait on it, but that was my biggest takeaway from both of these games, even though we won very comfortably against Monmouth. Uh, the same issue I still felt was was there. even in that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's certainly the um, the thesis of the week. It's on the Slack channel. It's here. It's, it's been on Twitter. Um, so we'll definitely get to talking about that, but I want to make sure Leon's got a chance to contribute. Yeah, no, the Coltrane Washington not showing up. So who was – I only caught part of the game, but what was the Nicholas Timberlake? Who was on him defensively? Was it like, wh- how did he get the chance to put up 24 points? And the other part is like, I guess I wasn't expecting us to win this game because of the reason that Dan already mentioned, but also because Townsend is definitely a, a class above probably on the CAA teams this year, along with College of Charleston. So uh, I know you thought Bill, we'd steal a game over here, but. Well, they have two players out there. They've been struggling with their point guard out. Um, he's been out. He was only playing the first three games, uh, but I think they've still been struggling a little bit without him. And then you take away, you know, another one of their top players, if not their top player. And I thought we have a chance, you know, to, to steal. One. Yeah. I mean, still, you know, we haven't won down there, so it would have still been hard. But if, if you were going to, this would be the time. I mean, down a couple of men, you know, but didn't quite happen. Um, who was, yeah. Jason Gibson's their starting point guard. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I mean, I think Cam Holden may have had player of the year votes. I mean, he's, he's not just their best player. He's, he's a pretty high end player in the CAA. I would say maybe the most likely to go, go in the next level. So it's, they were missing big, big, big pieces for sure. And I mean, who was covering him? I mean, Coltrane was covering him at some points. Uh, but sure, Mason could have been covering him. That dude was scoring. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't even looking at the basket. I swear to God. Some of the shots he hit Leon, like it was like a, Fade away, hand his face, bank went in. Like some of the shots were just, you know, it's one of those days where everything was falling. Thirty, he played thirty-seven minutes too. Thirty-seven minutes. That's a you pretty much played the entire game. No, that doesn't help. Yeah, enough. you don't want to take him out when he's, you know, draining ridiculous shots. That's incredible. But but Mate Okros, to your point, Anthony, uh, I was glad to see him on the box score for once uh, in a positive light. Uh, is uh, coming off the bench help him, or what do you guys think helped him the most come in coming into this game? I mean, for the last two games, I mean, Townsend and Monmouth, which we'll talk about in a bit. I mean, he just looked confident to me. I mean, it could be coming off the bench, maybe he's helping him, but he just got out there, caught the ball, and fired it up immediately. There was no hesitation, there was no thought, just looked like him playing well when he did, you know in previous years. So hopefully we can see more of that. I mean, I think with him, it's, it seems to be a confidence issue. It doesn't look like he's got an injury out there. It looks like he's just, you know, sometimes just not ready to shoot the ball. And in this particular game, he was ready. And, you know, was he four? He was four for five from three. I mean, he, he looked great out there. Hopefully we'll continue to see it. I agree. I mean, I, I he's been coming off the bench now since the LaSalle game. Does that sound right? I, or maybe right after that, but it's been almost a month of him coming off the bench. So I don't, I'm not necessarily sure it's even that change. It just seemed he was just assertive. He, he, he caught the ball. He shot the ball. It, it was, it was really just, it seemed as simple as that. Um, I know we've talked in the past about uh, the way we like to kind of slow games down um, tempo wise. And I'm wondering if that 
is even potentially playing a part. Um, you know, got guys like him, maybe they think they have the look, but you know, the way they have been helping their defense is they've been, you know, shortening the game, fewer possessions, you know, not getting up in transition and, and slowing games down and, and using the shot clock on offense. So is he hesitant for that reason, not wanting to just put up a shot, even if it looks like a good look because of, you know, a general mandate to slow games down? I, I, I don't know. But for whatever reason, these last two games, he really turned it on. I mean, I, I hope it's not the tempo thing. I mean, I, it could be, though. You, you might be right. Uh, I mean, he has just passed up open looks previously, and in this one he, he just seemed to just unleash it. I mean, he's one of, if not the best shooters on the team when he's shooting with confidence. So, I mean, if he gets a little bit of space, let him fire it no matter where you are on the shot clock. Reminds me a little bit, um, Red Sox had a pitcher, John Lester, who um, one season had the most horrendous, all of a sudden out of nowhere, had these horrendous home road splits. When he, he had an ERA of like a million at home and was pitching like a Cy Young award winner on the road. And uh, you, know, you guys may uh, understand this because he, he had a baby that offseason, the prior offseason. <laughs> when he was at home, he wasn't sleeping ever. And he was showing up to, the, to this ballpark, you know, punch drunk. And uh, when he's on the road, he was getting a good night's sleep before the game. And I don't know what's going on with Mate, and I don't think his, that's his concern, but I don't know what he's doing in the dorms. Are, are you starting some rumors over here, Danny? Are you saying that Mate has has fathered a child? Listen, however many families that man is operating, yeah, he's, he's operating six to seven families, I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> whatever he's doing in the dorms, not even before these two last games, let's keep doing that is, is all I'm saying. Because uh, there, there is, there may be something mental. He looks... He looks like he's fluid right now. He looks like he's in with the offense. Um, he's kind of found his footing again. So that's good news. They made that change, uh, Anthony, coming out of uh, the Seton Hall debacle. So it was the Delaware State game that, that they started that up. But um, let's move on. We'll talk about Mammoth for a second. I don't think there's a whole lot to cover here, um, which is good news. Um, one thing I learned when writing the blog, nobody wants to read about good news. Everybody wants to complain. Um, but... Uh, yeah, not a lot to talk about with Mammoth. It was a drubbing. Uh, they did not get off the team bus. They didn't have to come that far. So 67-35 was the final. Um, Bill, you were at the entirety of that one, unlike me. So you, you want to talk about it? I mean, they looked bad. I mean, honestly, they didn't shoot the ball well. I mean, 16% from three. Uh, you know, 27% from the field. They were turning the ball over left and right. They just looked like a mess. Um, I mean, some of it was defensively, but not all of it. Um, they just didn't look well coached, which I think, you know, King Rice, I think, isn't actually a good coach. So I'm not sure what exactly is going on there. Maybe just a turnover, you know, a lot of new guys, but they did not look good. Um, and as a result, we looked much better. I mean, we out-rebounded by 12, you know, turned the ball over less, shot the ball better. I mean, you're not going to lose many games like that. So, uh, I mean, it's fun to watch a beating once in a while. Got a little boring at the end, but I'm glad we, uh, you know, came away with an easy victory for once. I mean, they play five juniors in their eight-man rotation, and all five of those guys have been there three years. So, I mean, none of their transfers, they've all been in the program. Uh, it's it's hard to explain. It really is. Um, from a Drexel perspective, you know, felt like everybody had a good day. So that was that was nice. Uh, train, though, still a little bit slow. 
you know, he's uh, he's had a he's coming off a rough week here. I mean, I think just the one thing with this team is that without any stars, I think Spiker should be a little quicker to switch up the minutes. Like Train is clearly struggling. I know he's our second best player, but even if it's Odin or House or you know anyone, um, Justin Moore, if you're struggling. Pull them and try someone else. We have depth. There's not really that much difference between some of the starters and some of the backups. I mean, outside of Amari, um, I, I think you could, you know, play the hot hand a little bit. You know, you're a little bit of a slump. Try someone else. Uh, we've got guys. He's playing. I mean, even in the even in the Townsend game, what did he play? Twelve guys. I mean, he's playing. He's playing almost the whole team. Uh, we got all the walk-ons in in Monmouth, so it's hard. That's a number I didn't want to count up how many players in the game. But, um, you know, we have a lot of depth and not a lot of stars. So I think you can go a little bit more, you know, change up the rotation when uh, some players are struggling. All right, so let's talk about the starting five because I know that's that's what we want, what we, where we want to hit. Um, you know, I did some math earlier today. Listen, I do think you say this. The floor is is kind of higher than it once was. We've played a bunch of bad teams this year. We've kind of handled them all. Um, I did think going into the Mammoth game. I, I think about on Twitter, like we had been the two games we played earlier in the season against CA opponents that were bad opponents. Elon um, and William and Mary were, were much more competitive than I thought they should have been at home. And that Mammoth, when they came in, we kind of needed to to make it a non competitive game. And I was happy to see it happen. But we kind of know this team is winning the games it should win against the, that lower tier competition. To, to to the credit of the coaching staff, like we out talent them, and, and our starting five is knows each other well enough that they're going to handle bad teams. But when I looked at what happens when we play, not even a good team, but a respectable team, anybody in the top two hundred in Ken Palm, which is not like a it's an arbitrary cutoff, but it's a pretty you know are you remarkably decent? The best thing we played is Seton Hall, it's not great anyway. So top two hundred. Which is ODU, Penn, Florida Gulf Coast, Indiana State, Temple, Princeton, Seton Hall, and Towson. Pretty representative of, de- of a decent CAA team. Call it. First five minutes of the game, we're being outscored 37 to 58. If you take out the ODU game, and Leon knows that I love to do that, we'll cherry pick here for a minute. It goes down to uh, 30, uh, 27 to 50. Um, I mean, and that's over 35 minutes. If, if you include the ODU game, you know, we'll get the full sample size. You know, 37 points, that's over 40 minutes. A full game is 40 minutes. That's telling me in the first five minutes of these games, you're averaging 37 points a game for a full game. That's, that's a problem. And when you read, Leon, I think you sent out the Luke House article that was on College of uh, City Basketball Love today. And Spiker went to him and said, we need a spark in the starting lineup when he made that change from from uh, Mate to House. Um, I agree that Luke House can be a spark guy. He's a high-energy guy. But to me, that's the coaching staff saying, hey, we have uh, a player who is not playing up to what we were hoping from. We're going to try to make a personnel change. But I think they might be better off looking in a mirror and saying, hey, we may have a system problem with the start of our game. With you know, they, When they did Mate for House, it was a like-for-like. Like. They took out a shooter. They put in a shooter. They didn't really mix up what they were doing. They merely hoped that a different tool would have a, you know, just be more effective. Uh, and I think that they need to mix up what they're doing. If they want to win, 
games against competitive teams because you can't keep putting yourselves in this hole. I'll say this, the, mo- the four most recent games on that list, Temple, Princeton, Seton Hall, and Towson, they combined in that 20-minute stretch of those four games, they scored 10 points. That's a half of basketball. They scored 10 points as a team. You know, and that's the four most recent games. So I don't think the switch is what did it. Although, Luke House was only in there for the Towson game. We had one point after five minutes of Towson. It's not working. It's not a like-for-like switch. It's not an individual player. It's We play good competition. We are getting off to horrendous starts. And and I think they've got to acknowledge that it may be a systemic issue. And we got to mix it up. we got to mix it up. So who... What do you think, what do each of you think is the change, I guess, that you would do? I mean, for me, I would probably not start house. um, And I would instead play one of a number of guys. I mean, I think (laughs) you could play Bergens. Uh, I would say Yame Butler, but he clearly is not well-liked for minutes. So uh, maybe not him. Uh, Even go Kobe. I just think you need someone who does something a little different than Coltrane and Odin. Not saying they're the same players as House. I mean, they all bring a little something different, but their primary threat is as, as, is three, is as three-point shooters. Um, and I think when you just have three of those guys out there, it's a little too stagnant, and you're forcing Justin Moore to do way more than he should be doing at this point in his career. Um, so yeah, that's what I would do. I couldn't agree more with you, Bill. Um, pretty much to the letter. I agree with what you said. Um, house Odin Coltrane and, and Mate that they, they all do the same thing. Uh, they shoot jumpers. Their handles are not quite what you want for somebody to take the ball to the basket with any consistency. Uh, not to suggest that they can't do it. It's just not necessarily their strongest suit. Um, and you, I could see it in the Monmouth game, even though he won that game, you know, almost doubled them up. When those, when three of those four players were on the court at the same time, the offense just grinds to a halt. And when a guy like Kobe McGee is in the game, even just his presence as somebody who can be a bit of more of a slasher, get closer to the rim, take the ball at the basket. It just opens things up and the offense just seemed to run so much more smoothly. Um, I think Yame could be another person uh, like Kobe in that mix. But like you said, Bill, he must've insulted one of Spiker's family members or something. It's it's mind boggling to me that he just doesn't play. Um, He played one minute against Towson and four against Monmouth. uh, Just, I mean, frankly, and, and maybe I was reading too much into it, he looked defeated a little bit during the Monmouth game when he was on the court. Uh, I don't know if any of you paid attention to that, but uh, it, it just seemed as though he was kind of wondering, this is a game where we're winning by over 30 and I'm getting in for the last two minutes of a game with the rest of the walk-ons. Um, you know, in, in a game where the minutes were very spread out, nobody played more than 25 minutes, Um, The person who did play the most was Coltrane to a previous point, once again, struggled. Um, So why leave a guy in there that's struggling when you have so much depth? Um, But yeah, I mean, he can only play four minutes in this game. That that just, something's off with that. Um, But yeah, I mean, just 
put somebody in that is willing to go to the basket, isn't just a spot-up shooter because it, it just game after game, it just doesn't seem to work with three shooters who don't really do anything. Yeah, and I don't think I'm going to say anything original here, but I think we're all on more or less the same page, which begs the question, if it's that obvious to us, that we need another player and a player in there that's not a spot up shooter. That's a player that can make or create their own shot or maybe try to get to the basket to get those points. But in those first five minutes, we're struggling to get on the board. Uh, why, why isn't it? Is it just that there isn't a player at this point that the coaches are that confident in to put in? Like what, or is it like a seniority thing that goes back to, Hey, these players have been here, so they need to they need to get a shot in first. But like, what do you guys think is unless unless you think otherwise, Dan? You, if you think it shouldn't be the three players that uh, that we've mentioned so far, I, I'm baffled that you know I don't think we're we're all kind of on the same page. So, what do you think is what coaches are seeing differently? I guess that they're still starting another spot up shooter instead. Yeah, right. I mean, we're definitely too stagnant. Totally agree with you guys on that. I, I think. If Justin Moore develops as a passer, you know, I think part of it is based off of, you know, we don't have that penetrate and kick game that really makes that that four out as effective as we'd like to see it. Um, but if you don't have the personnel, you got to adjust. And, and I like for like sub was an adjustment. I agree with you. Um, I think we all want to see what Yame can bring to the table. Um, you know, I've heard any number of hilarious jokes as to what may or may not have planted him on the bench, but you know, he's uh, clearly living there. Um, he had 11 minutes against Seton Hall, 15 minutes against Delaware state back to the bench against Elon. And then uh, no more than seven in the three games since the CA play here. And yet he's been fairly effective for the season. He's five of seven from two and four of eight from downtown. Those feel like very, very small sample sizes, but numbers that you would like, I like 50% three point shooters on a team that is struggling at the moment. Um, don't necessarily think he is a 50% three-point shooter. Don't get me wrong. But listen, he creates a little chaos, not just for his own team, but for both teams. You know, I believe he'll you know, he'll make uh, – he's not a freshman, but first-year mistakes, first year with the, our program. Um, but he creates things, right? He does he, – he gets things going. Now, if you're the coaching staff and you're looking at it and saying, hey – we want to slow things down. We want to minimize turnovers. We want to make things easy on our point guard. You don't really want havoc out there. So I, I get that a little bit. And I actually think you can do this two different ways. I think against these teams that we're supposed to beat, you go and you play your upperclassmen. And you play the guys where you know you're going to play at a better level than the opponent. But when you have these teams that are going to challenge you, that you're not going to beat by sending out the same crew every time, you got to find a way to mix it up. It's kind of akin to running a trick play in the NFL, right? Like you just gotta, you can't go out of your own playbook all the time, and uh, sometimes you just have to know you're outgunned. You have to understand it and not just go back there. It's it's kind of what I was talking about with Dane Fisher against William Mary. You know him trotting that man to man out there just while watching it get beat all night. Like he went into halftime knowing he was losing that game doing that, and yet came out of halftime doing it. Like if we we can't walk into the College of Charleston game for example, thinking hey we're gonna contend like this. Nobody should be thinking that. You have to throw some kind of French in. You have to, to surprise them. And uh, we have the personnel to do it. Um, somebody on the Slack channel made a great point. It was actually 
something that I'd come to my mind too when, when Coach Jennings was on the podcast. He talked about at Army, knowing that they didn't have the best starting five in the Patriot League. Their starting five was not going to beat the other starting fives, but knowing that they had 10 guys who could run and and just using their bench and using their bench and, you know, really running, running, running. Unless I think you're going to run with this team because you have a young point guard and you're trying to ease him in, but you've got to find a way to use your personnel to extend things out a little bit and change things and give different looks. Um, totally with you guys on that. I don't really care how, how they do it, to be honest with you. It's going to be messy. There are going to be times we complain about it, but I'd rather have that and the opportunity to see something happen, then no, they're going in with a losing strategy. And that's my take. I mean, and also, Dan, there's just there's no one on this roster that like has been out there, and you're thinking, you know, it's a disaster that they're out there. I feel like everyone who comes out on the court has contributed in some way. Even if you're like Terrence Butler, who didn't even think was going to see the court much, has come out and given you some solid minutes. I mean, it hasn't been spectacular, but you know, you're not worried about him even being out there or anyone really. So. Why they're so hesitant to, you know, mix it up a little bit more when you have all of these guys who can play, um, is just throwing me off. I mean, and like you said, the Yame thing is just confusing. I mean, you're up 20, 25 points. Why are we <laughs> put him in the game? Let's see what happens. I mean, he's, it's been positive every time. And and, and Anthony, I think I, I noticed it too. He didn't seem to be playing with as much energy, probably because the game's already over. I think in other circumstances, maybe he's been thrown in where. Um, you know, the game was still more on the line and he was out there proving himself. This is just like, you know, here's some garbage minutes. Maybe he just couldn't, you know, muster up the same amount of energy for that type of, uh, that type of game. But yeah, I'd like to see them just, you know, like I said, keep, keep going to the group here. Like when one guy's struggling, throw in the next guy. Like Coltrane's did two games in a row. He's played a lot of minutes, struggled a lot, throwing Bergen's here. That's where though, I think, I think if, if you're Yame, you got to understand the message the coaches are sending by playing Luke House over and over again. They're saying culture is important here, effort is important here. And if you're going to go in and hot dog, you're not going to fight for more minutes. Like If he goes into that game and takes it super seriously, even though he's, he's going to send a message to the coaching staff that he wants to be out there. And when you kind of go in there and kind of take your minutes for granted, when he, he's playing six minutes, like you can't – you go in there with, and show that you got a head on your shoulders, I think, and and part of that's on the player too. You know, you got to understand what your coaching staff's asking for. I mean, he, to his defense, and every other game he's played in, I felt like he came in and instantly brought energy and some excitement to what he what he what he did. It was just this one in particular. You could just see, like, I mean, it's hard to have a sense of urgency when you're up, you know, thirty points. But his body language was poor. I mean, his body language was poor, and you know, like you guys are saying, culture matters. You know, effort outside of even games, effort in practice matters. I mean, if he's dogging it on practice, you know, in practice, and some guys are like that. Some guys aren't great practicers and, you know, just great when the lights turn on. But, you know, at, at our level in college basketball, I, I don't think you can kind of get by on that. Um, but I wasn't even talking about practice. I was talking about the game. I wasn't talking about practice. <laughs> I was talking about the game. He was dogging it in the game, not practice. So, yeah, I mean, you do. You have to question if he's going to dog in the game, what the practice looks like, right? I mean, you do. Um, back for a minute to the um, back for a minute to the the system uh, or, or the lineups. It, it seems like Spiker wants to play this kind of positionless basketball. All shooters, even R five is playing in the at the elbow. 
<laughs> type offense. And maybe I'm just a little bit more old school about it, uh, just kind of in the way I think about, you know, how basketball is played generally. I mean, is it a is it a fear of changing what they've kind of, I guess, coached up or is it a stubbornness? Because, you know, my I look at the NBA and, yeah, if you want to shoot – a ton of threes and, and, and win in the NBA. If you have Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and the best shooters who's, who have ever lived, then yeah, it's going to be a very successful strategy. If you're Villanova and you have a similar roster construction, yeah, you'll win a national championship. If you don't have those guys don't, doesn't, you know, take it to the rim, draw a foul, get the other guy in foul trouble, hit your free throws, hit makeable, shots, threes when you have them, as opposed to just having everybody playing a five out offense. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little too old school on it, but uh, I, I do think, especially at our level, we don't necessarily need to abandon what has always kind of been successful in basketball, just to shoot a bunch of threes and hopefully make enough of them to win. No, I, I think there is some truth to that, Anthony, because it's it's almost like you're forcing people to play a little out of their comfort zone sometimes. Some of these guys are better at certain things. The, I'd like to see Amari under the hoop more. I'd like to even see Lamar Odin maybe develop some sort of inside game. Uh, you know, that's uh, it, I think everybody kind of floating on the outside hope and kind of doing this positionless basketball works if you have a lot of great talent. But for a mid-major like us, where uh, we have players that are very good at certain elements of the game. You got to lean into them. You can't, you can't just abandon that and try to play a system that is more, I guess, everybody does everything kind of thing. And if everybody was doing everything and everybody was driving to the basket, it'd be one thing. But <laughs> everybody's kind of just hope. Uh, I think we're just hoping for better shooting in general, I guess, from the three-point line. I mean, I think when you run through an offense and you don't get a good shot off, and then you've got, you know, 10 seconds left in the shot clock, seven seconds left in the shot clock, and you've got three guys who really can't get their own shot. Now your only option is give it to Justin Moore and hope he can do something. And he's either, you know, it's had mixed results. He can get to the hoop sometimes. Sometimes he's lofting up a shot that he shouldn't be lofting up, but sometimes there's no other option. He's the only guy on the court who can go get that shot. So I, I think what you do is when you have someone else who could drive like Yame or even, you know, Bergens or um, even Kobe a little bit, um, you know, you can have someone else out there who can do something like Kobe can cut to the hoop and maybe you get a, a layup out of that late in the, late in the, uh, late in the shot clock. So I, I just think that's one of the main problems for me is like late in the shot clock, there's just nowhere to go. I mean, you can give it to Amari, but, you know, if a big man's double teamed, it's it's a, it's a little harder for him to get the shot off within that time period than it is for a guard who can just go get their shot. So to me, that's really where the main issue lies. And there's a lot of times where we run the shot clock down way too far, in my opinion, um, when we have all those shooters out there. So that's that's where I think you really see the issue. All right, let's, let's wrap it up there. I think there's a lot of to-be-continued here. With and, and We'll see if there's any changes Coming up on the slate for the men this week, we're going to have uh, at Stony Brook and at Northeastern. It's the kind of weird CAA Northeast swing where you don't do Stony Brook and Hofstra on the same trip because that would make sense. Um, so Stony Brook and Northeastern. 
uh, is will be this one. Uh, we haven't done this yet this year, but any predictions how this trip goes? Uh, I've been going to Bill a lot last night because he's in the top left of my screen, but we'll go the other way. Leon, road road games, but against bad teams. Well, I think we have to go 2-0 and against these bad teams. We need to win these games. We're, we're, we're not going to be able to, as, as the Townsend loss kind of proved, we're not going to be able to win the tough games yet. We, we need to kind of turn the corner on uh, figuring out who our starting five is and our consistent scorers are. So I think we need to go 2-0. and So I'll remain hopeful. All right, Anthony. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I mean, I think, Dan, you made a point earlier that we're beating the teams we need to beat. Um, and I agree, but I also uh, still am a little skittish about Zach Spiker teams on the road, uh, particularly in conference play. Uh, I feel like it's been a tough battle. Um, you know, as his tenure has moved on, it seems like we do incrementally better on the road in conference than we have the year before. Um, but I can't remember a ton of 2-0 and CAA road trips uh, in a given week uh, during his tenure. Uh, so this would be a great spot to change that uh, because, you know, we're 3-1 and in the conference now, 5-1 and getting close to the halfway point of conference play would be uh, a nice little cushion. So, um, hopefully they can, they can take care of business. Um, because you know, there's definitely some tougher matchups as the, the calendar switches over to February. So, uh, two and three on the road in the COVID season, I think two and three or three and two, and then five and four on the road last year, Anthony, uh, it was five and four on the road and five and four at home last year. Uh, I've always had a thorn. I'm only realizing why I'm picking on you here. I was sort of throwing on my side. I thought the early teams with Coach Bikers that Coach Biker had were just very bad, and bad teams don't win on the road. I don't think it was a road thing. I think they were just flat out bad. Um, and and he seems to have turned a corner in the sense that we're now at least a um, a team that competes. Um, and and now I think that that's why things have have kind of taken a jump since the COVID year. That's that's my two cents on that one. But it's uh, I get it because the early. I think the first like four years he had like three road wins, so I get where you're coming from. Uh, certainly, something was talked about a lot. You know, nobody needs to remind coach of that um, of his record back then because I think he knows it. I think he's got it probably tattooed somewhere. But uh, I, I think they're they're on the verge of getting out of it. Don't worry, I'll be a pessimist in a minute. Bill, what's up with you? What do you think? I mean, I'd like to see them go two and zero, but for some reason, I'm thinking we'll probably come home one and one. Um, if you come back 0-2, that's bad. I mean, just as far as the teams you're playing, I don't think either one of these teams is particularly good. But they both have two wins at conference so far. So they're not, you know, as bad as Elon or Monmouth at this point, I think. Um, so we'll see what happens. But I don't know why I'm leaning more towards a 1-1. One, one Even though I hope we come, hope, really hope we come back 2-0 because I think we should. I don't know what you guys did to Bill, but uh, I don't I – don't... I don't understand this pessimist, the realistic Bill over here. He's usually the most optimistic on the Drexel program. He'll have the ladies running the table in the next segment, so don't worry about it. You're new Nate. Um, I'll uh, I'll take one on one. I'm going to try. I think you're spot on, Bill. I think to take it's, it'll be weird or something like that. I could see us, you know, Sony books the game we should win. But I could see us going to Sony Brook and losing, and then going to Boston and somehow winning. Uh, it's just a. This is going to be a wonky trip. Uh, I just I, I feel like one and one 
is going to be unsatisfying, but at the same time, I will take it. It's a road swing in the CAA. You go 500. You don't complain too much, even against kind of poorer competition. This is both these teams are poor, but neither one of them is that bottom of three segment that is really atrocious. That uh, that Elon Mammoth Hampton, those are the guys who are really really bad. I still think both of these teams at least have, you know, shown the ability to win games. Um, to your point, two games and two wins in conference for both of them right now. And Sony Brooks, it was a road sweep. They went to Northeastern and Mammoth in their Northeast swing and, and, and beat them both on the road. So I'm not looking past them at all. But um, certainly you'd like to be 2-0. If you want to prove yourself as a contender in the CAA, you need to be 2-0. So we'll see. They have beaten the teams they can beat. Um, but I, I kind of put both these games kind of where I put the LaSalle game. Very, very winnable, but I think it's going to be harder than it looks. Um, they pulled it off against LaSalle. We'll see how these two go. So that that's going to be a good week of basketball. That's Thursday and Saturday. I believe, by the way, the Stony Brook game is national TV. I think that is uh, – I'll check it for you, but I believe that's CBS Sportsnet. Um, so check that one out. See your local listings. Try to have the bartender find CBS Sportsnet. Good luck. Um, that takes us to the women. All right, everybody, you can you can put aside complaining about the starting five and talk about how we should only play the starting five. Um, <laughs> the women had an okay week. They had uh, what, by my math, are the second and third best teams behind themselves in the CAA come to the deck. That was Delaware and Stony Brook, and the only team that really can enter the conversation with those two, I think, is Northeastern this year. They had Stony Brook and, North- and Delaware come to the deck, and um, Keishana Washington and company told them where to go. They showed them the exit sign. It was double-digit wins across the board. Um, handling Delaware on NBC Sports Philadelphia, good regional coverage, 73-57, and then letdown spot, big game against Stony Brook, non-competitive game, 81-64 was your final. Um, well, Anthony, you're kind of our guru here. Why do you walk us through this week? Yeah, I remember uh, last week when we met, Dan, uh, you said that this is a big week, and uh, Delaware and Stony Brook were the two, uh, the, the stiffest competition for the women. And uh, if that's the case, then <laughs> this week tells us that we're going to absolutely run rough shots for this conference uh, because Delaware um, did not look nearly as good as I thought they were going to look. And, you know, as you said, that Stony Brook game, it was close for a quarter. 20 to 20 after a quarter. And in the second and third quarters, we blitzed them. It was 70 to 40 before they turned on some press that we struggled with a little bit in the fourth quarter. And they actually cut the deficit in half to their credit from 30 to about 16 or so. Um, And that was about where it ended. Um, But I mean, just dominant performances. Um, Kashana is her usual great self, uh, 30 and, uh, and 27. Um, but I got to particularly mention Mara Hendrickson, uh, who is <laughs> rewriting record books uh, after a 14 assist game on Sunday against Towson to set a Drexel record. She followed that up with 13 on Friday against Delaware and then 11 more uh, against Stony Brook um, on Sunday. So if she's going to average double digit assists for the conference season, we're probably going to be seeing point totals in the mid to high seventies, low eighties for most of the time. Um, In fact, the um, 
the 13 assist game against Delaware, she was on 13 with about seven or eight minutes left in the game and actually got removed from the game. Otherwise, she probably could have gone for her own record. Uh, and I'm not certain what the NCAA single game record is. Um, I watched something where they were talking about her performance on Sunday against Towson two Sundays ago, and they mentioned something about 15 being the NCAA record. That struck me as a little low. I couldn't pull it up to confirm, but um, she has been great and a big help to freshman point guard Grace O'Neill, frankly, because, you know, always tough breaking in a freshman point guard, especially against teams that press. Uh, but having her on the court is like another point guard, which is which is great. Uh, another player I wanted to shout out uh, who has kind of chipped in with some quality bench minutes is junior forward Chloe Hodges, who I did not play last year, I believe with an injury. Uh, she redshirted. Uh, but uh, I remember when we were on with Coach Mallon uh, preseason, she was talking about Jasmine Valentine being kind of that player that was on the team but hadn't really – uh, splashed and and Coach Mellon kind of picked her out as one of the players that might kind of surprise. But uh, and Jasmine's been good. Um, you know, I I don't know if that endorsement from Coach maybe set real uh, unrealistic expectations for. Her, but I've been impressed with Chloe. Uh, she's whenever she's been on the court, and it's kind of spot minutes, uh, 10, 12 minutes a game, probably no more than fifteen. But she has come up with some big plays. I think she had a couple big ones against Penn State. Um, you know, a couple nice plays against uh, Stony Brook uh, and Delaware, uh, particularly when I think Stony Brook was trying to make that little run. She kind of, uh, you know, made a couple baskets to kind of stem that tide. So just a couple of players I wanted to, to point out. Tori Duke also actually had a great game against Stony Brook. Five of six from the field, one of two from three. She actually was second on the team with 13 points in just 16 minutes uh, off the bench. So that was another uh, notable performance I wanted to bring. Kishana disappointed with the um, 31 and 27 over the two games. I like that we can talk about the roster and not mention, mention her. She's dropped out of number two in the country in scoring by Maddie Segrist at Nova. So it can, continues to be the Malin Dillon connection. Um, it'd be fun to see them battle that out down the stretch. But yeah, real, real disappointing week, averaging 29 a game for Kishana. Um, doesn't even get her mentioned on the podcast. Uh, it's a, uh, yeah, it, it really is. It's fun. Uh, I, the highlight for me, Anthony, to your point, was more Hendrickson. I mean that that box score, eight, eleven, four, and two, and that was that was the weaker game. That was Stony Brook the game you were talking about, the Delaware game. You know, seven, thirteen, six, and three. That's um, points, assists, rebounds, and steals. So, so it's, a, it's a four category. I mean, she's just filling up the box score and. Uh, every way possible playing about a half hour game so it's it's really cool to watch and just see um kylie lavelle's back she played about 20 minutes both these games but wasn't a huge factor in either one i think they're still working her in right it's kind of kind of your thought there anthony it looks like she's still kind of getting getting back and up to speed it definitely seems like it um i'm not sure if it's being over eager after being out a month she seems very quick to pull the trigger um and not necessarily always the right shot or the prudent shot. Um, you know, she's still contributing on the point total, but it's not the most efficient, um, you know, shooting splits. And sometimes, you know, she'll be under the basket, maybe even fighting off a double team and she'll just kind of 
try to hoist one up there. Uh, and again, I don't know what it is. I don't know if, you know, she's on a minutes restriction. Clearly she wants to make her minutes count um, or she's just super hyped up because she's 18, 19 years old and had to sit a month and we're on a seven game winning streak and, you know, she's gearing to go. So she's hoisting up the shots. I, I don't remember her being quite as aggressive shooting the ball before she got hurt. And I, I may just not be remembering super clearly. Um, you know, before she got hurt, it seemed like it was a two woman show with her and Kishana. And if, you know, they weren't scoring, we were going to have a, a serious problem. It seems as though we're getting more contributions across the, the roster now, um, it, you know, since her absence. So I don't know if it's kind of a don't forget about me type situation. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure she'll, you know, as, as time goes on, as she's, you know, getting back into the high 20s, low 30s minutes per game, I'm sure she'll be, um, you know, she'll be taking some better shots. But yeah, we got a chuckle out of uh, nine shots, essentially 10 because she went to the line against Towson in 10 minutes. Uh, Delaware, she played 18 minutes and took essentially 14 shots. So she's she's right up there um, with Kishana as far as shots taken per minute. Um, may not may not be ready for that yet as she comes back in, but she settled down against Stony Brook. I mean, it was, it was uh, actually a much more efficient four of nine performance on uh, in twenty one minutes, and uh, also pulled five boards, had a block, had a steal. You know, just did a lot on the floor. So good. I think she gets up to speed. And that's the thing. I mean, that's a crazy thing about this team. I mean, they just took those two teams who were decent teams in the CA to the woodshed, and they did it really without being at full strength. Still, I mean, they're they're almost there. Don't get me wrong, but no, nobody's crying for the dragons. But it's uh, it's cool to see um, they're undefeated at home this year, um, so they're certainly um, they'll hit the road and they're gonna still have to prove prove things on the road a little bit and there's a long way to go. But uh, Bill, I, I'd imagine you have them at eighteen and zero for the CA for sure after these two performances. Yeah, eighteen and zero. I'll, I'll go back to my positive outlook. I'm sure they'll drop a couple here and there, but that, I mean, really. Clearly, the class of the league, they learned to play without Kylie while she was gone. I think more people were kind of forced into some roles that had to step up. Um, and interestingly enough, I mean, Tori Hyde, her minutes really jumped up last, I think, the last four games. What was it Delaware State, maybe? Um, and seeing her contribute positively in, in, I think, three or four of those games she uh, scored in. So, uh, I mean... Just getting those contributions from other players make this team extremely dangerous. I mean, Deshaun is so good. I mean, it's really unbelievable to watch her play. I, I, some of the stuff she does while you know teams are doubling her or tripling her is, is really amazing. She's still able to score this many points. Um, but, yeah, but just getting the contributions from everyone else could take this team, I mean, hopefully back to the NCAA tournament. And I just want to point out real quick the the increase in scoring uh, because, you know, our women's team has really been known as a great defensive team that will turn you over, you know, score in transition off those turnovers, but usually plays games in the high 50s, low 60s, occasionally will crack 70. Um, this team seems to be an offensive juggernaut. And, of course, you know, when Kashana is scoring 30 a game, that's a, a great base layer uh, to, to, to start on, but there's still another 50 points out there to get to 80 and we've hit 80 points um, two, three, four times already this season. Uh, and, and it's, it's actually been uh, 
quite an offensive show compared to recent seasons. This past weekend, they honored the uh, 2013 WNBA or WNIT championship team. Uh, can't believe it's been 10 years since that team. Uh, but they were showing highlights of those games, and they're playing um, power conference teams, win at Auburn, beating Florida, beating Utah, power five teams, and we're playing those games in the 40s, um, 50s and 40s, and this team is putting up point totals in the 70s and 80s. 70s is almost routine at this point. So, um, you know, it's far from a one-woman show because even with 30 points a game, we still have to score another 40 points. So it's, it's been a team effort, but the offense has really uh, turned, turned it on. I'll say the last two games they didn't break 70 were Delaware state and Dartmouth. And I think both those games, they were kind of coasting at the finish. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, um, Amy Mallon, coach Mallon said that their aspirations are bigger this year. You know, they want to, um, not just get to the tournament, but be competitive there and, and scoring at a high level is part of that. Um, it's good to see this offense kick into another gear. And not just be a CA caliber offense. I will note, I think every ranking system now has them as a top 100 team. Uh, they're the only one in the CAA that could say that. I think I don't think anybody else in the CAA is top 100 in any of the ranking systems. Um, they, they seem to be a class above. Um, go on the road, prove it. The uh, swing this weekend, um, new team, and then a place that's kind of been trouble for them in the past. So it'll be an interesting swing. It's the Colonial Swing, the uh, Hampton. And William and Mary will be spending some time out in um, Hampton Roads area. Um, two two games, I think it could be sneaky, uh, especially coming off of the high of this homestand. Got to go out on the road, like I said, prove it. Those are jobs that you just got to get done, um, and they'll come home. And that's actually something I forgot to talk about with the men. They'll come home. They'll have a bye after that. If they don't play that following Thursday before they go to Towson, so it's a it's a three game road trip. But there is a uh, an off spot in the middle of that. I mentioned that more for the women because going back to the men, the men's next two games, um, like I mentioned earlier, are um, Stony Brook and Northeastern, but both Stony Brook and Northeastern's next opponent is Drexel. Uh, Northeastern's got the bye before playing us on Saturday. So I, I think that's actually screwy scheduling about the league. And I just, I think if you, if you're off Thursday, you should have to travel on Saturday. The idea that Drexel's got to travel and then play another short rest game against a team that's got the full week off to prepare at home doesn't feel competitively balanced to, to me. Um, so something I throw in the back of my jacket there to complain of the league about at some point, but scheduling's tough. I get it. Um, but yeah, so the women here at Hampton at William and Mary, um, all things colonial will be mentioned in our next podcast. My wife and I used to talk about the colonial Wawa in downtown Williamsburg. It blends in very nicely. So um, looking forward to see, see how they handle this. I can't speak to Hampton. I know at William and Mary down at Kaplan for the women tends to be kind of a trouble spot. They usually yep. pull it out, but those games are always more competitive than you'd think. If you just look at the records of the two teams at the time, um, I think it was either last year or the year before it was, there was a, it was at least one overtime, if not two down there at William and Mary, I believe we pulled it out if I recall, but uh, that's always kind of a, a tough spot uh, for us. So uh, yeah, in the middle of a three-game road trip, yeah, definitely uh, one to watch. Yeah, the tribe not good this year. Um, they're one and two in the play right now. They did just beat Charleston. They put up eighty-one points in that game. We know they can score, and sometimes with teams that can score, usually in the past because our ladies tended to play in lower-scoring games. If they gave up points, it was a problem. 
Um, so we'll see if maybe the offense this year can keep them clear. But um, yeah, they'll come out and they're gonna they're gonna try to run it with us. I think um, we'll see how that goes. They are on the road to Towson before they host us, so they've got a not particularly fun weekend for themselves and in store as well. Um, so that'll take it about wrap it up here. Looking forward there. We do have one segment, which I will not miss in this podcast, which I did last. And I know everybody's excited about it. I know everybody's looking forward. Cue it. We have the good, the bad, and the ugly to take us out. Um, let's, let's have the founder, uh, Leon. Give us a oh, good, bad, and ugly. Mateo Okros, right? You got to give him the good. I don't, I, that's the one, at least, that's glaringly good. So I'll go with Mateo Okros for the good. The bad and ugly, I, I, I think for the men's, at least, we need to figure out what our what are the gap we got to f- kind of fill the gap over here when it comes to scoring in those first five minutes and i i we knew that I, I think to a certain we had that feeling but once you ran the numbers and you messaged us earlier dan it was it was yeah, more more obvious that we need a, we need that spark and i don't know if that spark is luke house uh as spiker is hoping it for it to be i guess all right bill what you got um i guess i'll go with the good uh, is the beating of Monmouth just uh, uh, but at the same time I'll also call that the ugly because just watching Monmouth play was pretty ugly um, so that'll cover uh, both of those there um, that sounds like some kind of national historic site this is where the beating of Monmouth occurred <laughs> <laughs> yeah put up a put up a plaque somewhere uh, in, the, in the deck but um, yeah uh, in the bad I guess just dropping that game to Townsend. I mean, these are all pretty basic stuff, but I mean, just, I feel like that, like I said, that's a winnable game. Would have been nice to get that, that win um, over a quality opponent in a building we haven't won at in a while when they're a little, you know, uh, when they're down a couple guys. Um, so I'll go that as the bad. I, I will get some love to Oak Gross too. I, I probably would have gone with that, Leon, if you didn't, because um, we have been, you know, harping on him a little bit on this podcast. And I, I I think we all would just want to see him play to this level where we know he can play. So hopefully he gains confidence from this and can relay that for the rest of the season. All right, Anthony, what you got? Good, bad, and you're ugly. The, for the good, I'm going to go with the weekend for the women. Just a big weekend against two teams that – you think are really going to be the top competition and you answer the bell in a huge way to the point where both games were laughers. Uh, so I'm going to go with that for the good. Um, for the bad, um, you know, we've beaten on Mate in the past, um, you know, for, for this time around, I guess I'll give it to Coltrane. Uh, just a rough week for him. Uh, you know, I'm not taking anything away for him, but he, he made two of 18 shots across two games which is a pretty poor uh, percentage there. Um, and maybe he just needs a breather. He, he's playing, I think, the most minutes on the team. And I know he's probably our best on-ball defender, so there's probably a reason for it. But um, as we've talked about before, with the amount of depth we have, um, maybe not a bad idea to mix up the minutes a little bit and, and maybe get some guys in there that don't all do the same thing. Um, it, it's, it's hard to not pick – Monmouth's performance for the ugly because I, I honestly in the moment felt bad for them. Um, it, it, it's kind of one of those things, even if you're paying pickup basketball, 
You play somebody that's too much better than you, it's not fun. You pay somebody that's too much worse than you, it's also not fun because that's just kind of the way basketball is. And and to watch, that was just, uh, it, 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 you know, when you feel bad for your opponent, um, you know, at least when it's your own team, you could just be mad at them. But when you're watching your team just trounce another team and they just look totally hapless, it, I just feel sorry. <laughs> so uh, I guess I'll, I'm going to go with them as well, uh, just to piggyback on Bill. All right. Um, my ugly is telling myself to go last at this because you guys I – mean, I had to watch you guys take everything I was thinking. Um, uh, my, my good – I'll go – uh, try to find something else here. There's a lot of good to talk about. I mean, certainly I, I wanted to underscore the women's and Laura Hendrickson, but um, I will go with attendance. How about that? I haven't talked about attendance in a positive light in uh, over a decade. So let me take my opportunity here. Uh, over break, you're never going to be happy with attendance. It's never going to be that big of a building, but the crowds weren't bad. I looked last year, we played Towson to kick off the CAA play, slate over break, 624 people. There was still a little COVID going on at the time. You know, we we're, were, Still worried about it today, to be honest with you, but less people are. Um, the two games we played over break here, New Year's Eve, and then uh, on the 7th against Monmouth had uh, 1,002 and 984 were the attendance numbers. So, um, you know, uh, 300 people increase over the same time last year. Um, when you're starting from a base of 600 or so, that's a big deal. Um, it's a baby step. It's going to be a long road, but it's great to see um, more people coming out to the deck, and I think you can feel it there. Um, between the sound system, the lights, and everything else, just a little bit of a crowd increase. It's, it's great to see, and I hope now the students will be coming back, and we can talk about real. Let's get up towards two thousand. Like let's let's really put a, put the pedal to the floor now, get that atmosphere back in there for both both the men and the women. Women had about five hundred, by the way, at their game. So, um, you know, Delaware's going to bring some more, but um, it's it's good stuff. Um, that's my good, yeah, my ugly. Um, it's tough, tough not to go with train. Um, had a bad week, but uh, for me, it's just not taking advantage of, of uh, the guys who are after Towson. Really going back, going down there, and not being aggressive. Um, but like Amari wasn't on the right foot. Kind of felt like the whole team was off on the wrong foot. Nothing could get going until we went to the reserves. Um, so um, missed opportunity, big time missed opportunity. I thought um, to prove we could compete with a, even a mediocre team. The Towson's not great without those guys. So that's my bad. My ugly, yeah, is I'm going first next time. So there, there we have. We got a wrap. Uh, any last thoughts from the gang? Yep. Nothing here. Got a whole bunch of notes looking there. All right, guys. Hey, looking forward to the next week. I did confirm it is a national TV game Thursday night at Stony Brook. So we'll get to check out our, our new opponent and a very desperate Geno Ford. Um, we'll tune in for that one, and I'll talk to you guys next week. All right. Have a great week.